What's up, guys? Four Corners back with another episode. I am one of your hosts, Ray. You can find me online at Rayvon Hackshaw. Three men weave this week, joined by my fellow host, Peter Bucket since '88. What's going on? What's up, Ray? Glad to be back for another show. Um, we've had better weeks in Nuggets Nation, but uh, still excited to talk basketball this week. Um, I'm always excited when we got a new guest. And uh, today I'm happy to introduce uh, my friend that I've met through basketball a long time ago. Actually, it's the head coach of the Chatfield Chargers in Littleton, Colorado, Eric Bueller. Coach, how you doing? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Excited to have good you. To have you. Um, so yeah, basically, first first question we always have for uh, new guests is just you know how did you get into basketball, just sort of like first memories of the game, you know, what sticks out, and then uh, you're sort of like how you got into the Nuggets. Uh, yeah, I I think I was listening to you guys, uh, some of your older podcasts, and I, it sounds like I have a very similar story to almost everybody, you guys and people that you have on, but um, I was, I grew up in the 90s. And if you didn't know who Michael Jordan was, you're from another planet probably. And definitely like the, the be like Mike commercials and, and you just couldn't get away from Michael Jordan. And uh, I think that's what sparked my interest with basketball first. And then from there it went to like, Oh, we have a, <laughs> we have a team in Denver and I'm from Colorado. And, and uh, just from then on, experiencing the, the the whole nuggets upset in the supersonics and then the the dark ages as i call them and <laughs> nugget fandom after that where with some 13 win seasons and things like that and, and when i was in high school carmelo anthony being drafted by the nuggets and um i think that's when probably i got a, a true fandom and i got really deep into the nuggets and and followed them pretty religiously and uh, I don't watch them as much as I'd like to right now, uh, unfortunately, but obviously I paid very close attention in, in May and June to everything and everything Nuggets, and I probably follow the Nuggets on Twitter more than I follow them live or, or watch them on TV, but um, I try to stay up to date as much as I can with, with my team. Nice. Do you have like, a, is you have like an all-time favorite Nugget? Um, it's, it's hard not to put Jokic there <laughs> already, okay. uh, just because of who he is That's and fair. what he's about and especially For being a, a few coach, MVPs. I mean, yeah. But even just being a basketball coach, like if you don't love Jokic's game as a coach, then I don't, we probably can't be friends, but, um, <laughs> I probably, this is going way back, but I just, he was the first nugget I guess I associated with and I, I wanted to play like a uh, huge Bryant Stith fan. Yes. Huge Bryant Stith fan. Like he was okay. the position I wanted to play and probably the best shooting guard we had at the time. And, um, one of my, one of, one of my all time favorites. Yeah. For the, for the younger listeners, Bryant Stith was probably as good as Gary Harris before he got injured, if not better. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people I like gravitate to the people that they I don't know maybe they relate to like not that that we are all going to be NBA players because look we're not but if we could imagine ourselves and who we might be on the court um, you know for me I'm Peter I'm kind of curious I don't know who it is for you I don't know if we've talked about that specifically but for me it's like I was a big Kenneth Fareed fan mm -hmm. actually that's honestly that was like uh, how that was like my role in high school, basically. <laughs> um, so I don't know, just something I could relate to. But uh, Peter, I'm kind of curious about you. What, what, who's your favorite, uh, personal favorite nugget? Maybe not the best nugget, but the one you identify with the most. Oh, easy. JR Switch, pulling up from anywhere, <laughs> getting hot. You know, he could be the best player on the court for stretches. Like if you didn't follow basketball and you turned on the, the game at the right time, you'd think JR was like the next coming. Um, you know, of course, he had rough stretches, too, but there's not a lot of players in NBA history that have a better highlight reel than J.R. Smith. No. Yeah, you're right. Uh, especially when it it's not. <laughs> Here's what I would say. One of my core memories of J.R. Smith is uh, I believe it was a playoff series that we were losing 
it may have been with the Lakers. And the series of the game is over. The series might be over. I think this is the last game of the series. George Carl puts in J.R. Smith, and he just makes like two back-to-back jumping out of bounds fadeaway threes that with no with no they don't matter like we're already down 12 or something like that but that's like yeah yeah i, I was like oh of course jr makes those shots in that moment um but um yeah he's a cool guy i hope, I hope golf is going well for him I, I i think that's what he's doing now right playing yeah. collegiate yeah. golf have you guys seen the documentary not yet i need to it's good no. it, it makes me i i misjudged jr smith a lot like because i was i was definitely one of those nuggets fans of kind of pull my hair out because he could like keep you and the other team in the game um <laughs> and it would just drive you crazy at times but was also like obviously a, a crucial piece for some playoff runs but uh very interesting like his perspective and he talks about his career which is really cool so yeah i mean he had a pretty crazy career arc if you think about it because he he comes in you know, he doesn't really catch on with the Bulls or Hornets. He comes to the Nuggets. He's on the Thuggets with Mello and Iverson and Kenyon. And, you know, George Carl doesn't really like him. Then he goes to the Knicks where Mike Woodson completes him, treats him like completely different, you know, brings out the best in him, wins sixth man. And then he goes to play with LeBron and, and wins a championship. You know, it just – it seemed like JR was, was kind of a follower. Like whoever was going to lead him in the right way really got the best out of him once he got to New York and uh, Cleveland. Hmm. Absolutely. And I remember back when he was like getting going through the draft process and watching the McDonald's all American game that year. And I remember like, I think he was the MVP of it and everybody on ESPN and stuff was like, put like max potential Kobe Bryant. And I was like, this is awesome. And that's when I really started really paying attention to him. And then when he was a nugget, I was like, man, can't wait till this Kobe Bryant kicks. in." Yeah. It's in in moments like you see. Yeah. You, sometimes you, you just see it, but yeah, he's a he's a fun guy. Um, I don't know. I kind of miss him, but kind of you know he's a guy who would like if he's like your thirteenth man, you're kind of like okay, I'll take what I can get today uh, if it's going well. But um, I, I feel like Michael Malone would actually hate him though. Oh yeah, yeah, he yeah. didn't like Nick Young so. <laughs> didn't love swaggy p yeah that's a fair point fair comparison um not to like i don't want to get to this news because this is like he's one of my favorite players he's one of the players i i would probably say i stand the most one of the homies uh, uh one of the homies um Vlako chanchar tore an acl i'm really bummed about this because it was so casual if you guys saw the uh, the clip of it, I yeah. thought he might have like hyperextended his knee or I don't know a number of things, but it looked pretty bad. Uh, looks like he's got uh, like a long road to recovery, and I don't know. I think it kind of almost puts in jeopardy like what his next contract might even look like, um, or maybe I don't know. Maybe he ends up being like a lifelong nugget in in like some weird way, but. Um, Peter, I'm mean, throw it to you. Like, how do you, what do you feel like when you look at the impact of the injury is on the Denver Nuggets? What what comes to your mind first? Well, I think there's two parts. I think the first part you have to talk about is if Tim Conley was still in charge, he always took care of his guys, right? So Vladka would sit out rehab all year. They'd probably pick up that team option. He'd be back. Now that we're in the Calvin Booth era and we're the defending champions, I honestly don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to look at this and think, you know, he's still under a very reasonable contract. We could use him next year. Or does he say, you know, we got to trade him or cut him because we need the, we need the roster spot. You know, they, if you remember, they had to trade PJ Dozier, even when he was out for the year, because they just needed a, a new body to fill the slot. So his career is, is very much up in the air. Unfortunately, as far as the team goes, yeah, I mean, now there's even more pressure on Zeke to to play well in his minutes, and maybe it opens things up for for Hunter Tyson. You know, maybe he he's the guy on the roster I would say is the most similar to Zeke in terms of like build and what he how he plays, like what what he can bring. So you know, if he has a good training camp, I'm not going to rule out that 
you know, our second second round pick can maybe even make a dent in the rotation at some point. You know, he's going to have to earn it like all guys do with Malone. But, uh, you know, Malone's he's got quite a few different options. Yeah. Eric, how do you feel about I mean, is it is it something you're worried about? I mean, obviously, Denver has, I think, multiple options for that position. But how confident are you in? in those options, I, I would say, at this point, based on, you know, summer league, based on the draft, based on prior years? Uh, That's a good question. I think, I don't know, because what he brings is, I'm a, I'm a super loyal guy, you know, and I love, um, I love people, I love players that want to be like Denver Nuggets, Denver Broncos, their whole career, or if they can, or, those lifers, especially like somebody that's actually contributed to a championship season. And it, it always gets tough after those championship years. Um, I'm really excited about Watson. Like I'm, I just, I feel like he's got to get on the court somehow and show us what he can do because defensively, obviously I think he's there. He showed us what he could do against a Durant and that versatility. And we have a lot of guys that can do that with uh, Gordon and, um, if he can knock down an open shot, I think that's like the key for him to getting onto the court with, with Jokic and Murray and, and maybe being a key piece to the, the second unit. Um, I'm very intrigued by the draft class. I don't think we could have done a better job like filling in some of our gaps that we were already having with pretty low risk contracts and, and low con- and small contracts with three max guys on the roster already. So I, I think you find some combination there and with Christian Brown hopefully taking a much larger role this year. I'm not saying he's the same type of player, but I, I think either way, even if, if uh, Ladko doesn't get hurt, I think those guys are going to step in and get a lot of minutes no matter what. So, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I hate this for Vlako most of all. Yeah. But at the same time, Vlaco as a guy who mainly plays power forward, I feel like power forward is one of those positions in the NBA that is the most, you have the biggest pool of players almost that that can fit in a role like that, where it's almost where all the tweeners end up, all the guys who are like, is he a, is he a three, is he a four, is he a five, is he a four? They're almost all fours. Yeah. Um, to the extent that I'm not super... I think Zeke can step in and, and fill in those minutes. Um, at the same time, where it kind of worries me is that I almost feel like they're – I know I, I say this a lot, but I could really use like a center. I would feel a lot better because um, if, say, you play Zeke at the four, I think that's better for him. It's just who do you play next to him that's going to be a little bit more stout. Maybe you could go small and you know, play Peyton or – um, Hunter Tyson, but I feel like this actually bumps up DeAndre Jordan's minute totals a lot more than in anyone else in my mind so far. Um, Ray, have you had a chance to uh, to look at any film on on Jay Huff yet? No, not really. All right. I actually, mean, to be um, honest, I really haven't either. But he is a seven footer; like he's a legit center. So. You know, the rules with two-way contracts are interesting. I think you can play, like, I want to say 50 games. So maybe he'll start the year with the big club just sort of, like, as his tryout, assuming he doesn't have a disaster of a camp. And if he's good enough and they need him, maybe he just ends up getting converted and they they figure out how to, cut, you know, get rid of somebody else. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, it's hard to imagine because... I still struggle to find it in me to believe Michael Malone will see a, like a young guy, an unproven guy, and just say, hey, you are, you know, you know, this is a consistent every night role for you, uh, and you can just have it. But I'm open-minded for sure, because I also feel like the bar isn't, isn't the highest, uh, especially at that position. You only need to do, I only need someone who does very narrow set of things. Can you set good screens? Can you rebound against other centers um and can you finish plays like either at the rim or maybe on the perimeter if you're a stretch guy so um it's not you don't need a world beater uh and i think it would just provide a lot of structure for them especially 
without man, Flacco is one of my favorite players. Yeah, it's a bummer. Who do you I mean if there's one thing I do think it affects is like who is the centerpiece of that bench unit? I'm not really sure, just in terms of like a ball handling perspective. Is this really going to be um Eric, are you, are you like a Reggie Jackson? Are you a Reggie Jackson guy? Uh, I mean, I love he's I a love Colorado, Colorado guy. I, I love my Colorado guys. I got nothing. I think he's a good player, and mm-hmm. I just we didn't see him play as a Nugget last year, like in meaningful minutes. And so it's kind of I don't know where I don't know where he is in his career. If he's gonna can he come in and play like 20, 25 minutes a night? or even that 15 minutes a night roll. And we got kind of spoiled with our backup point guard last year, especially like spelling Murray when he was out and, or needed like management nights and stuff like that. So um, I think that's a good question with the ball handler piece. And like just the, I was thinking as you guys were talking, I got a question for you guys. Like Malone showing us with like his second unit it's it's usually a smaller group of guys like Jeff Green and like he might leave a, a Gordon out there to play center. He might leave an MPJ out there to play power forward. And then he sp- sprinkle in three or four guys off the bench. Like, do you guys not and, – and Lapko, like he he was – I think he was key to like 15 wins last year. And, and especially games where we were – whether it was Jokic would sit – sit out that night or or Gordon had a night off like we would still win those games when we would rest one of our key players and that's where I'm worried about like if we want to have another one seed going into this season like how do we repeat that even or a top three seed with with a second unit that's super inexperienced yeah um Peter I'll let you I have some thoughts I'll let you go ahead if you want to if you have some something you want to share yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. You know, it definitely makes us thinner. Um, it's interesting you, you mentioned the identity. I think that it's been hard for Malone to find a group that, like, has good chemistry, right? Because we for years we talked about, like, whoever the backup point guard was would have trouble if there wasn't a true center. I mean, I know that was, like, your main thing, Ray, you know, back when they had – Monte Morris, it's like he always they could always just go to that pick and roll with Plumley and get like a decent offense going. Um, but now it's kind of like I think they had some success last year just kind of being pesky as they could, hustling, rebounding, and getting out and running. Because in the half court, the offense still wasn't very good. So I mean, the hope is that Reggie Jackson can have a bounce back year, but I don't feel like Malone is gonna have as long a leash this year with letting the bench figure stuff out because I think in the playoffs, he realized the stagger was more effective, right? He basically just played his guys more. I think he's just going to stagger Murray, if not from game one, pretty, pretty soon to just be like, you know, this is your time. He doesn't really like having any time with Jokic and Murray off the floor at the same time. Yeah. I actually think this is like the biggest uh, Jalen Pickett opportunity that he might have in a way, because I, I think, especially in the half court, I don't know if there's another option outside of going back to like, okay, we're just going to play Murray and Jokic 35 minutes a night in Jan- in like October, which I'm not super jazzed about, but um, Bodie Ball is, is, it's something i'm not saying it's like it's everything that you know at the same time i don't see another it's i'm it's losing vlatko i think he provided a lot of the secondary playmaking um that kind of like glue guy mentality is the way he approached the game that i don't think you can get another guy to play power forward i don't know if there's another guy who's going to be able to be that like ultimate linkage uh between the other players Right. So I am. I guess maybe Peyton Watson is like a leader now, but we'll see. Uh, oh boy, I'm. Are you like one to ten? Are you concerned? I feel like I'm at kind of like a six, maybe a seven, low key. I'm like a four. Uh, I think I'm with you. I'm with you on a six. 
I just there. there's a lot of unknowns. Guys playing more minutes than they played, and hope like just probably new guys. Like I agree with Pete. Like I think some rookies are going to get some minutes this year, and they're going to try to figure out who can come in and contribute right away. Well, I'm I'm excited for Watson. I think we all are. You know, Christian Brown is ready for more minutes. And the one guy that nobody has talked about, including myself, is I'm not ruling out a Justin Holiday bounce back year. I mean, I know the league is pretty much think he's fried, but I, I do think there's something to be said for like you get on a good team with a good culture, maybe you can you know, be competent. Ray, I'm not saying he's going to be like a crunch time guy. I'm just saying maybe he can come in and give like 10 to 12 good minutes. You look skeptical. I am skeptical. I'm not going to lie. I have to remind myself. I mean, he's a wing. He's 34. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just, it's, I'm not. Maybe six months from now, I'm going to come back on the show and have to apologize <laughs> to Justin Holiday because I'm not familiar with his game. But I'm not feeling it right now. <laughs> um, maybe, but to your point, he also might be a guy, and Eric, to your point as well, in a situation where we're playing a lot of um, untested players he might be a guy that Michael Malone looks to, especially early on, uh, as someone he can trust and rely upon to be, uh, to know what they're doing. You know, maybe he doesn't have the the gas he uh, did, you know, earlier in his career, but he, I, I'm sure he will be a professional. He will oh, yeah. uh, be under control. And I think in a way that makes Michael Malone more comfortable, regardless of the outcomes on the court. Um, and he misses, I'm sure he'll miss Jeff Green. So that might be just like a, a wonder swap. He might be the guy that plays 1200 <laughs> minutes and we're just like, how, um, uh, but well, and Ray, I can tell you firsthand, know. you know, Justin holiday is a competitor. Okay. I, I was at a tournament in high school actually, where we played against, uh, well, we didn't play against Drew and Justin holiday, but they were in the tournament and they won the tournament, not surprisingly. And, you know, just having Drew as his brother, I think he's always motivated. Like he's known from a young age that he's not the best basketball player, you know, in his town or even under his roof. So I think that's can be very motivating for somebody that you're like kind of finding out pretty early in life. Like there's really good players out there. So, you know, even though these guys are all pros, I do think there is still just an uncontrollable, uncontrollable human nature about like what kind of team you're on. And when you're on the Atlanta Hawks and remember they had that crazy record where it was like, three months straight, they were always within like one or two games of 500. Like they were just the most mid team ever. And I don't think it's, you know, a crazy thing at all to say, this is going to be the best team Justin holidays ever played on in his life. So I think he's going to take his summer really seriously. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he knows he's not guaranteed a role, but he's going to be really excited to come in, show the coaches what he can do. You know, he, I do think he can still defend decently at an NBA level. And, now with Vaco going out, he's probably thinking to himself, oh, man, I actually might get a chance to play here if I have a good camp. Yeah, I think that's fair. He'll get a shot. And I think he could, especially now at this point, I think there's a lot more of a likelihood that he is able to hang on to it more than he did or had maybe a week ago. Um, how does this make you feel about Jamal Murray? I think we've talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about uh, Nikola Jokic not playing in FIBA this year with him kind of struggling uh, with his sort of rest and recovery of going into these kind of preliminary games for Canada. Are you, does the, the Vlatko news combined with all these things kind of like, does it change your calculus at all? Um, Peter, you kind of like, I feel like you've got some thoughts. And then Eric, if you want to go after that. Oh, man, it, it stinks because I love the international game so much. I've talked about that, but I can't lie. I'm, I'm more nervous now. I don't want him to pull out. I, I still want him to play. But if I if we get news that he does pull out, I'm not going to be heartbroken. Yeah. I, I mean, are you – we love Jamal. We want him to have success. I know he wants to play. Yeah, I think 
it's kind of, kind of two things. Like the fan in me is like, I just, I want healthy nuggets. <laughs> and, but like the competitor yeah. in me mm-hmm. and the coach in me is like, I'm a big believer. Like when you start worrying about getting hurt, that's when you usually get hurt. And so like you, when you're out there, you got to go full mm-hmm. bore all out, give everything you have. And if you do that, I, I feel like the sports gods, the basketball gods will take care of you. And and I know the injuries happen. I mean, obviously it just happened to one of our own, but like, I don't know. I, I can't fault a guy for like going and playing for his country. Like that's the coolest thing. I think we, I think that's how we ended up with a silver medal team um, like 20 years ago was because like all these guys were worried about their summers and their, their rest. And it's like, nah, screw that. Let's go win a, let's go win a gold medal, you know, and let's go win a championship every time, every chance we can go win a championship, let's go win one. And I think, I think, I think Jamal's that guy and we saw it this year and um, I wouldn't fault him for going and doing it. Like it, watch, I say this and he gets hurt, but like, um, it's it's if he pulls out i won't be mad but at the same time i'm I'm gonna root for good basketball too so yeah i feel that especially because i mean we've if he's a guy that could maybe spend more time especially coming off the injury um coming into camp like into training camp in the best shape of his life uh, I kind of felt that playing overseas might help him to some extent. There's no guarantee uh, as well that just because he doesn't play overseas doesn't mean he can't get hurt playing pickup, you know, over the summer here either. Uh, and, and to your point, maybe maybe it, it is better for him. Maybe that, that it's it's so it's tough. I, I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad it's not my choice, but yeah, whatever his choice is, I definitely respect it. I just, it's definitely created some tension, I think. You know, it's a weird thing to have a championship off season in the summer and have that that hangover and all these things. So um, I am really curious to see how <clears throat> how next, next year is going to go in, in that sense. Like, how does everybody come into camp? How does everyone feeling? How uh, excited is everybody to get back to like the grind over the regular season coming off of the highest highs of, uh, of basketball in the U S um, you guys want to take a break and then we'll uh, come back in just a moment. Sounds good. Cool. Cool. We'll uh, see you soon. And we are back on four corners here, Ray and Eric and, uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been coaching high school for a while now, and there's so much that goes into coaching that uh, if you've never coached, I don't think people think about, you know, it's not just the the 32 minutes of, you know, from the opening tip to the end, there's, there's so much that goes into getting everybody ready, you know, making sure people are there on time. And then, you know, the NBA, it's, we're so used to when the season starts and ends, and then like, there's like three months in the summer, you're off. In high school, there's a way bigger gap. Um, you know, there's only 23 games in, in high school. So just talk about what, what it's like to coach. You know, what's your favorite parts of the year? And, uh, you know, what, what are the challenges like? Are you still are you still just as locked in in the spring and summer as you are, like, in the, the regular season? Uh, yeah, so we – we high school is unique. I know college is, is different as well. Uh, but I would just say, like, the – we give us guys a break, probably about a month about of a break. Uh, at, at my school, we're really blessed. We actually have a basketball PE class that I, I get to teach. And um, okay, so I see like our guys it, starting in August. I have them in class and then I get them all the way through May. And especially when you're dealing with teenagers, like if we did basketball for nine months, just every day, all day for those 55 minute classes, like I have a bunch of kids that hate basketball. And, and so there, I, I think that's the toughest thing to work in there now is like the mindset and the, the psychological part of it. Like you want to, you want them to want to be on, on, on the court working on their game, 
But if you're forcing them to do it, then they're gonna, you're going to burn them out really quickly. And so they said, I give them a break. I give them about a two week break and we start doing our lifting and, and just kind of our off season conditioning piece. And uh, I don't know. I try to keep it light. Like we'll play dodgeball. We'll play kickball. We'll go play flag football. We'll go, we'll go do other non-basketball things. And, um, and usually, and it, it's worked this way the last few years, and it gets kind of stronger and stronger, which is cool piece that I'm going to brag about with our culture and the direction it's heading right now. But kind of the longer I hold off on them doing basketball, the more they're chomping at the bit. And then they're begging me to get in before school. They're begging me to get in after school. Um, and so, and then when it is time to get after it in April and May and, and kind of get ready for which is basically a summer season. We have a whole nother season for high school. Um, they're ready to go. They're motivated again. Um, but yeah, we, we do that. And then May, we kind of start playing in spring leagues, having some practices here and there. Um, and then June's pretty much designated for high school where um, you're not really supposed to be playing club ball. There really aren't a lot of club AAU tournaments available. Most high school kids are playing with their high school teams, doing high school workouts. Uh, we do workouts through June and, and July, and then we give another break in August just to let school start. Um, we have we're our our high school won a state championship in football two years ago, so we're definitely like a football school, <laughs> probably first and foremost in the boys side of athletics. And so we have quite a few kids that do that too. Um, and so that's a whole other dynamic. Like you have some basketball only kids, we have some soccer kids, we have some football kids, and then we got to try to keep them engaged with the game of basketball, not during their seasons. Like I don't make kids do basketball practice during their seasons, but I always tell them like, Hey, you got to touch a ball three days a week um, right. just to keep some skills up and, and, and to kind of hold your spot <laughs> in a way. Like if you want to come back when it is basketball season, you still got to be ready. So um, kind of that down period between the end of March and the middle of November we are doing basketball. We probably play as a high school team. Our guys will probably play 20, 25 games in the spring and summer. And then the guys that are real serious and playing AAU and, and club, they're probably getting in another 30, 40 games into addition to what we do. Um, albeit I'm a little biased. Again, I don't, I like AAU. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to start any fights with AAU club ball coaches. It is, it is a tool that everybody needs, or not everybody, <laughs> but a lot of kids do need. Uh, but the amount of games they play, it's kind of a wash <laughs> in terms of competitiveness and, and actually helping kids get better. Uh, but it is a necessary thing, especially for kids that have the ability to get recruited to do the things the next level. Like, they got to go play in those tournaments. So, um, long-winded answer there, but yeah. <laughs> Ray, is that bringing back any memories? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, well, I think some people, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, kind of to your point, there are some some people, boys, girls, who they are playing in multiple sports, or maybe they have other hobbies, other interests. Maybe basketball isn't the most important thing in their lives. That wasn't me. <laughs> I was like, I did, you know, I played in summer league. I played like in AAU. I played like pretty much year round. Um, and I don't yeah. know. Cross training, I think, is also really important and valuable. I think to that point, one of some of my favorite um, practices were like the more unorthodox ones where um, we're pulling out like, I don't, I don't want to say body bags is the wrong word, but there, I, I remember this one day, like we did this thing uh, talking about screen setting where we would basically have um, everybody, you know, kind of line up and you get the, this big sort of pad that you hold up with, you know, kind of with two hands. Uh, think like giant punching bag type of thing and just uh, have somebody run into you <laughs> and just like do like little like goofy games like that. I think that the things that keep uh, people staying engaged, I think, in, in introducing that variety, you know, I think that that matters a lot. Um, but it's also like, it's a time where I think a lot of people separate themselves at, in terms of their commitment, oh, where yeah. it's where you really, I don't want to say you earn your spot in the summer, but a lot of the things that you do do in the summer, 
uh, they are the things that manifest, you know, in the fall. And are you stronger? Are you jumping higher? Are you a little bit bigger? Um, all that, you know, is where that like off season comes in. I think it it is a little bit easier for high schoolers because you know comparing that you know comparing to the college level comparing to the nba successively because you have those like kind of long periods of off season and and those periods just outside of that like your conventional season um to work on your game to like focus on yourself and sort of come back a better player um where i feel like in the nba it's just like the season is so long the regular season is long. The playoffs are long. By the time you get to the end of all that, I don't know if I would touch a basketball, you know, because you do want a little bit of a break. So it's uh, it's an interesting, I think, comparison to make and think about. Yeah, hey, one, two, three, Cancun, right? You might not have that kind of money in high school, but the NBA players, you know, they, they're allowed to do some one, different things. One, two, three. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, well, Ray, Subway. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, – you know, the cross training aspect, because that actually reminded me, I remember uh, between junior and senior year, one of our assistant coaches recommended that we all do yoga. And of course, in high school, you know, as a like young, cocky high school kid, we're all like, what is this guy talking about? Like, that sounds stupid. And sure enough, we took we took yoga because they actually had like a room and offered it at our high school the first half of uh, senior year. And it really helped. It helped with a lot of flexibility. It helped even like strengthening your, your ankles and stuff like that. And we had very few injuries, um, my senior year. So just like there's different stuff you can learn all about physical fitness and training in general, you know, as you, as you get older, even if you're like one of the best players, I think the most important thing that the, the greats do is they, they keep learning, right? They keep challenging themselves. I always love seeing those stories in the summer where you see like, oh, uh, so-and-so went to go train with Hakeem Olajuwon or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, this guy really cares. Like, I feel like Kobe was like, I don't want to say the first guy to ever do it, but the first guy that we like really heard about doing stuff like that a lot, where it's like, he's already really good and he's still looking for an angle. Um, next thing I wanted to hit on was, you know, Eric, when we were in, in, uh, in college about 2005 to 2009 range, the game was... I thought the game was pretty balanced still like the three pointer had, had gotten like, I'd say it'd be, it's a really important part of the game, but it was not the main part of the game by any means. It was still like, you know, drive and kick, get to the big man. If you have a good one, mid range shot was still like pretty big deal. You know, there was plenty of kids on my team that would not shoot threes or were told like, don't shoot threes. Um, and then in 2008, we saw the the run of, of Steph Curry at Davidson, which was absolutely electric even if you're following basketball like really closely, we'd never seen anything like it, right? This this small team and this guy who's just wet from three, <laughs> knocking everything down, gets all the way to the lead eight. And uh, you know, over he over time he just he kept it up and he kept getting better. And, and he really revolutionized basketball. And I'll never forget, I think Mark Jackson made the comment, you know, that Steph Curry was ruining basketball. And that was a very, very divisive comment because I don't think people completely understood what he meant, but I totally understood what he meant because what he's saying is not everybody's as good as Steph Curry. Well, duh. In fact, nobody's as good as Steph Curry. So yeah, if you get in the gym and you practice, you can get better, but you probably shouldn't just come in and just start chucking threes and win basketball games like that. And of course, if, I, if I'm going to bring up Steph and the three-point revolution, I also have to bring up you know Daryl Morey and James Harden and that, that Rockets team that basically tried to game the the system and play of this math game where they're just taking layups and threes and that's it. So coach, I'm curious, you know, sort of remembering that time and sort of, you know, the shift wasn't overnight, but I'm curious, like from where it was in high school and when we were in college to now, how different is, is the game at the high school level from what you see? Do you play any teams that are, like have copied that rocket style at all where they just pretty much threes and like nothing else. Um, yeah. Like I think I know a lot of coaches nowadays that are it's layups and threes and free throws. Like they're, they're very into the, the analytics of it and it, it makes sense. Like I get it. The math equation yeah. makes sense. Um, I'm a big believer in 
like the eyeball test and like what you show me you can do, I'm going to let you do. Um, so I tell like, especially our better players, like if you go and I'm, I, I'm sure there's a stat on it. I wish I could find one. I could find a stat on just about anything nowadays. But like, if you, if you watch the NBA, you watch college basketball, it happens all the time in high school basketball. Where do a lot of game winners come from? They come from the mid range. And like, that's because at the end of a game, obviously the rim protector is going to be there defensively. Um, everybody knows that the three point line, um, like that's where you're going to get pressured. So the, the most open area of the court is when you attack, but you don't get all the way to the rim. So if you can attack and you can create that shot in that 10 to 18 foot range, um, like that's a shot you're going to need to have in your repertoire, especially if you're one of the dudes, like you're one of the main guys on the team. Um, I have, I've coached a lot of undersized kids where I'm like, dude, you, you don't have a chance near the rim. <laughs> and so like, if you want to pull up and shoot a 15 footer, like you got to practice this, like a layup, like you got to practice this so you can get it into the 60, 70% range in your game. And so if you're going to shoot that shot, like I want to see you practice it and I want to see you make it in practice and then I'm okay with it. Now, like you were saying with back, back when we were in college, high school, like we, we always had those teammates where coaches like you, 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 no threes. And, um, I feel like, like our, our high school Chatfield, we're six, a, we're the largest, um, classification in Colorado. Like there's rarely a time where there aren't four, five, at least three kids on the court that can knock down an open three. And so like the shooting and the shooting outside has definitely changed um, and gotten so much better. Um, and there's still a couple kids out there that are like a defensive specialist or a big man that maybe can't shoot or, or whatever it might be. But like, I, I still think like the shooting is, is, crazy good now at all levels it's or at least better i wouldn't say it's good all the time but and then there are the teams that are just like no we're getting layups and three and threes which also in my opinion like i feel like you're easier to scout like we can defend two things so right for sure yeah sorry um no i definitely feel that i maybe i'm i think i'm like slightly younger than you guys not that much younger but um when i was playing like organized basketball even like back then in like 2012 2011 um when i was playing varsity it, there was like even back then you we had figures like uh for every there was steph of course but at the same time it's also austin rivers and jimmy <laughs> for dead you know guys like, like that who like that. are maybe <laughs> It because because uh, here's the uncalled thing. Uncalled for. Um, it it's not uncalled for, and I'll tell you why. Oh my god, um, Austin Rivers had a huge impact on the game, especially at the high school level, because it was the prevalence of the high school mixtape. It was that Fair real enough. era. YouTube was kind of becoming a popular thing, and nobody was more prolific in that sphere than like those parts even more so than steph actually like was more right. prolific than like austin rivers and jimmy for as guys who were you know um having those highlight reels and that model being something that not everybody emulated but i definitely even had teammates who you know uh are, are, they, are they saying kobe and pulling a fadeaway mid-rangers not really they're they're taking deep threes and yelling austin rivers and jimmy for so um <laughs> It's an interesting, I, I kind of feel like it's not the, I don't love it in the sense that you should always think you have a green light, but I do think it's a positive in the sense that I think there are fewer and fewer cases where coaches today are looking at their players and saying, you can't do X, Y, and Z. And I think in the way that um, when I was younger, there were, you know, guys who maybe you're six, four, six, five, six, six. Um, and coaches are telling you, yeah, you're you're not a shooter. When in reality, you know, this is a player who uh, maybe they're six six and playing center at this level. But when you're talking about guys' futures, I think it is a lot more freeing in in unlocking of what what they can be as players when you do have that that cultural acceptance of what it means to be 
you know, uh, letting guys basically be floor spacers. Uh, yeah. So I'm kind of cool with it. I've kind of seen the toxicity. It's hard to it's hard to judge. So, Eric, I have one follow up sort of on this topic. You know, we've seen in the NBA how crazy the variance can be with so many more threes now, right? We've seen teams with like 25, even 30 point leads get banished because the other team just gets hot from three. I'm curious if that has trickled down to the high school level. Like it's got to be frustrating. Has it happened a few times where you go in and you're playing a team and you probably think, Oh, we're way better at this team. And they, they just come out completely on fire. Cause from what I remember when I was in high school, I feel like my team was pretty consistent. We pretty much beat the teams we were better than and, and lost to the teams we were worse than. I imagine that's got to be different now. Has And I haven't followed high school basketball as closely in Colorado. Have there been some more like four and five seeds making crazy runs in, in the tournaments? Because usually it's like one and two seeds. Yeah, I, I don't know if it like necessarily the example you're using, like it making runs in the playoffs. There definitely are like upsets because of it, you know, and – um, one of our teams from during the COVID year, uh, we were running gun and like shoot it. And we, but we had, we had good players. We had a six, five kid that's playing college ball now who was a really good shooter and like six, five in high school shooter, like not many people are contesting your shots. So he's, he's always open, you know, and we right. hung with teams we should never have. Um, if you just want to look at like pure basketball, talent and, and size and, and that sense of stuff. And we were in a lot of games that year and one up won some games that I don't think people expected us to win because of the three ball. Um, and definitely teams that we play against where like they just, you can't get rid of them, you know, like you can never shut the door. And yeah. that's, it's, it's even more like, Think about the psychological change in an NBA game, like the momentum. Like momentum is real. Like no one, I hope no one here argues that momentum isn't real because we see it in the finals. We see it in in college basketball. Um, but in high school, like when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, and this kid just hit three in a row, and it went from a a 20 point lead to now you're up 11, and they called a timeout because they're setting a the press up, like. It's a massive swing and it makes it fun. And like, you just never know yeah. what's going to happen. And like, I think usually most years, the teams that are supposed to win, win, you know, and, and I'd say there's a few teams in the state, like um, there's other teams I'm a fan of, like schools I'm a fan of. I love mountain Vista. They're, they play fast. They shoot a lot and they, lately they've had some really talented like six nine kids and in, in college basketball type kids so um that you put kids in systems like that with that talent it's been it's fun to watch um but for the most part like the the teams that have the talent that have size that have the athleticism are usually going to win in high school <laughs> so in the long run oh yeah yeah the big men the yeah, big men that's... can still dominate uh if you have them but uh i think what's interesting about high school you know versus the other levels is the court is still the same size right obviously the three-point line is a little closer but what the good coaches figured out is like you spread the floor and you you pass you can pass the ball around and you're, you can pretty much get an open three as long as you keep working the ball around and this leads me directly into my next, my last question, Eric. You can keep passing the ball around <laughs> as much as you want in Colorado because there's no shot clock. Um, what is the challenge of of playing? You know, there's got to be some teams that like they just completely slow it down and, and want to get a good shot every time. You know, it, it's so different than what we're used to watching on TV. Yeah, it's uh, in it, like uh, we were just talking about psyche in like again the teenagers' mindset with that is. Um, it's very funny because they're used to like, if you're like our system, we play fast, we want to get the best open shot as, as fast as we can. And so, um, in practice, we, we don't play against like, I don't want to say stall offense because not everybody's trying to stall. Some people are just trying to run their offense that takes 40 seconds. And, and 
like they <laughs> to keep them engaged especially in like the the gen z era that we live in of like everything is is a 10 second clip is super tough for those kids to to handle and so um and even teams that don't do mean to do it just some offensive possessions that drag on and they they last longer than 17 seconds which is the average high school possession which is i just throw that out there because i'm like we won't even hit the shot clock most of the time if we get one like on if that that's what the stats are saying and so right um it, it makes it really hard and it, it, it's it's a tragedy it's a tragedy when you see it like i've seen it in the summer more now but you see it in games like a playoff game and a team gets a six point lead and they're just going to hold it for four minutes or a whole quarter or whatever it is. And it's just like drives me crazy because I think we all love the game of basketball because of how beautiful it is and how free flowing it is. And when it just comes to a grinding halt and it's like, when I see that and I'll call out coaches that do it right now is like, it's, it's about the adults (laughs) and it's about like, yeah, you want to win, but like, I'm going to win running our stuff. I'm not going to win doing this stupid stall hold. I mean, the the whole, there are kids in Lithuania playing with the 24 second shot clock. Like I'm pretty sure some 17 year olds in Colorado can figure it out. Like a, a 30 second. That's what we're, that's what we're supposed to go to fingers crossed. They might approve it next year. So be praying about that for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we're good luck. Absolutely, you'll yeah. have to come back and share, uh, celebrate if they do. <laughs> I feel like thirty seconds has got to be plenty. Like if you you run your offense, thirty seconds I mean, is forever. It's, it's just a long time. It's so long in my mind of just running. It's forever. <laughs> if you can't get a good shot in thirty seconds, like you probably just can't get a good shot. Uh, but I'm just baffled. I think I think in Maryland we we also 24 seconds was our shot clock, but I don't know. It seemed like plenty of time. I don't remember a lot yeah, of we played a, violations we play, or anything we played like a summer that. game so, um, at Kansas's team camp this summer in their practice facility, and they couldn't turn their 30 second shot mm-hmm. clock off in their practice gym, so we had to play with the shot clock. Guess how many times and how many violations mm. there were? Zero. And it's summer, but still, yeah. like, you know, no one was even thinking. It got down to, like, five seconds a few times, but it, it's crazy that, that it, it comes down to, like, money, too, which I get. It, it's expensive. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, well, because, like, the school so, will probably no, – well, someone to run the shot clock, the shot but, which you don't need to. In college, at the college clock operator runs the shot clock, too, so it's still one person. Um, but like, you got to install shot clocks, you got to buy shot clocks, you got to install them. And so, but it's a, it's a one-time cost or a mm. once every 20 years that you re overhaul your gym or 30 years, you overhaul a high school gym that you got to buy one. And so that, I don't know, the money thing is, is kind of a weak argument for me. Like, um, I did just come from a meeting where I heard our, our athletics in our district are getting 10% less money. So money is a real issue. But, um, like, it's – I don't know. It, it's something I feel like needs to happen because the rest of the world figured it out. Like, I don't know why we can't do it in the U.S. Um, there are new rules this year that I'm really excited about in high school, which I think will also help with that stalling situation because there's also nothing worse than just a free throw fest to end a, a, a basketball game. And so there's new rules that will prevent a lot of that, like the yep. – the, the foul count resets every quarter, kind of like women's college basketball. So, um, yeah. What? Oh, <laughs> Yo, I would have abused that. Oh, yeah. No, you're right, because I remember even though we played quarters, it was seven fouls was one and one and ten was two. So if you had played yeah. a bunch of hackers, it was like free throw Yeah, fast. and it's like the it's same thing. It, it grinds the game to a halt. There's no – you can't play. Um, if, like – I know, I know Peter and I have like argued this a few times on Twitter with the shot clock, but like, it's going to force you to play defense, but it's also going to force you to run offense. Like you can't just have a dude. I mean, some teams will have this and where he can just dribble through everybody. Like it's going to force coaches to coach the game more. It's going to force kids to learn the game more, which I'm 100% for. I'm willing to do all that work. I guess I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I, I totally understand why you want the shot clock. And I'm not even arguing that, you know, it wouldn't be more fun. I, it, It's definitely the fun option. I've just always been on the side of like, I love strategy. I love that in high school you can play a zone and you can do so many things. And I love that you can you can have less talent and win if you take care of the basketball. But yeah, obviously I don't say, I, I'm not saying I like <laughs> games that are 18 to 16, but it yeah. can be useful well, in, in stretches. But my, if they go to shot clock, is, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll just throw this last one out there is what, what's one of the best things about the NCAA tournament? Like why does everybody love it? Upsets 100% upsets without the shot clock the underdog doesn't have a chance in a lot of games because you can defend. Like if you can defend, you have a chance in a game. The shot clock will keep the game close. And say NBA is the same thing. Like that's the beauty of like you were talking about with the NBA, like 20 point leads are not safe. 30 point leads aren't safe in the NBA because there's so much time. And so like you have a chance if you can hang around and stick with it, stay within 10, 15 points, and then you can get your offense going, like you have a chance in those games. And that's that's one of my favorite parts of the shot clock. For sure. So I did take the liberty of looking up some of the the price tags on shot clocks. Uh-oh. Um, I'm looking like two and a half to like four thousand dollars. Right. I don't know if that's like I don't know how much that is for each school district. I understand that might be burdensome, more burdensome for some than others, but I don't know as a one-time thing. <laughs> but that's the challenge, I, right? I it's, would it, hope you'd have to get it uniform. You, you know, the whole classification would have to yeah. play by the and same rules for it to get the, passed. The pr- one of the propositions is we do it with the bigger schools because it's it's easier for a bigger school to raise the funds because. To be honest, we're probably going to have to fundraise to get that money. Yeah. And and like I get it if you're a if you're a one A school in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, and you have thirty kids in your school and your budget is maxed already for the basketball season, like you're gonna, it's going to be hard for you to come up with four K <laughs> for those shot clocks. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it is. It's tough. I don't want to get too like political about it, but I, I know even like last year, I believe there's some type of like Tabor refund that we all got. Every everybody who was like a Colorado resident who paid taxes two years ago uh, got like a seven hundred and fifty dollar refund. <laughs> and you had money for that. We all were uh, <laughs> buying a lot of weed in Colorado. <sighs> I just when I when I see something like that, like I don't know, give the kids the shot clock. Come on, guys. The kids. <laughs> <laughs> like. Oh my goodness! I don't know. I feel like it's. I, I. I can. I'm. I would pay slightly more just to know that like young young children have shot clocks. I don't know. That's just. Uh, How about this? Would you pay? Way. It's like eight bucks. It's eight bucks to get into a high school basketball game. Would you pay nine or ten to get into a high school basketball game? For sure. The extra dollar I mean, or two wouldn't. It doesn't fit into the. I've never. Yeah. I've never yeah. gone to a high school basketball game and thought, darn, if only it was two dollars cheaper, you know. Holding me back, and it's hard. It's it's that, hard. That's true too. Um, maybe yeah. if you're a student, it's hard too. I mean, there's other stuff that we need to spend more money on. Like, there's a massive shortage of officials. Like, that's probably the biggest biggest tragedy right now in high school athletics mm-hmm. in general. Is like nobody wants to be an official. Almost at the same rate. Yeah. Well, no one wants to be Who a coach right now either. Like, it's hard. Coaches are getting hard to find. So. Um, like, hmm. maybe that'll be my retirement job. <laughs> maybe I'll be a ref. <laughs> Two weeks later, guys, I'm in the gym. Uh, I go to the school now. And I, I coach. You know, it's, I don't fun. know. I don't know if I could ever do that um, fairly in Colorado. There's still a couple schools I just can't. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm not gonna give me. I do though. feel like it's the hardest job in in sports to be a referee. I don't think people really appreciate how difficult it right. is to to keep an eye on all the things that go on on a basketball court from travels to what is a travel to what is a foul to do you, does, does this ball go out of bounds what is part of the ball all these like little minutia 
in what is um refereeing that i don't know i've always just you don't know you're not always going to like the calls that happen but i've always had a lot of respect for the officiating in the sense that it's just hard like it's, it's not going to be perfect just because it's like let's see you do better I, don't, I think a lot of the people that hate officiating at you know across levels i think would struggle if they were put in some of the positions that that referees are that's for sure that's one of the reasons i struggle i struggle going to games just nba nfl mm -hmm. high school college games is because like you sit and you're sitting around a lot of average fans and you guys they pay their money to be there so they can do what they want while they're there but it's I like if I'm on a Nuggets game, I'm just I get mad at the lack of knowledge about basketball and stuff people say. It drives me <laughs> crazy. So right. like I'm almost I love like early mid early games and when half of the ball arena is full and <laughs> I'm just like, oh, there's not that many people sitting around me. This is kinda nice. Like I can talk to my wife or my buddy or and, and but when I'm at a Broncos game or a Nuggets game and there's just all these casual i guess casual is a better way to put it and it's just right. like even at the end of the day the untrained yeah, like at the end of the day like that's a human being like you shouldn't say that about anybody you know like unless it's like putin or somebody but then like <laughs> like it's a person and he's like doing a really hard job you know and same thing with players like don't be so critical of players like what they're amazing they are so amazing. NBA players are, in my opinion, the best athletes on the planet. Like, if you ever get to sit close to an NBA court, they are so good and they are so athletic. And there's no way any of us on our best day could come close to doing what they do. So, like, you need to, like, slow your roll a little bit with being as critical as you are. I guess that's my soapbox, but. <laughs> you, you came to the right place. I don't place. think it has to be as personal. Right. I, I, I'm cool with criticizing some like, OK, maybe you did this thing or that thing wrong. But like, I think when it becomes personal, I think it it's 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 like why it doesn't need to be that serious. It's just yeah. somebody at their job at the end of the day. I've never I never go to Jersey Mike's and I'm like, hey, man, you cut my ham a little thick today. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's weird. I wish we were a little bit more. We could contextualize it better. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I think people learn a lot playing sports is that you learn to like move on from a loss. You learn how to compartmentalize a win in a healthy way um, that I think a lot of people could benefit from. I think we would all benefit Absolutely. from. Um, yeah. So I think that's what's interesting um, we... about the difference between like going to a sporting event versus like going to the movies or going to a theater show, right? Because it's like, yeah, you might see a bad movie or a bad theater, but people aren't, don't start yelling at the screen. Like, nobody's going to hear you. At a sporting event, you feel more connected to it. So I think some people get caught up in the moment and don't understand that, like, you paid for a ticket, but you're paying for experience. You're not guaranteed that your team is going to perform well that day. We're human. That's a good point. That's true. I guess you, it would be weird if you went to the <laughs> Avengers movie and, like, they lost. <laughs> Well, people do right. do comment during those movies. They, they, you know, they they get emotional. Uh, some of them. I mean, even like I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the Barbie movie, but I feel like that is one that has had a lot of like cultural impact in terms of the people who are really into that movie. They're really into that movie. They're showing up in in costume. They're they're like the the level of intensity. I think is is very high. Yeah, we're, um, we're not going to talk Barbie so, on, on this podcast. Podcast, Ray. I'm not doing it. Are you an Oppenheimer guy? I haven't seen either. Okay, that's fair. Uh, maybe we'll have to like go see them and report back. But I, I, I'm interested. Actually, I'm interested in seeing the Barbie movie. I feel like it's. Uh, I have a weird. Maybe we can do that next week. I don't know, Eric, if you have strong takes about about the Barbie movie, but I feel like a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> no, no takes. No takes. I... That's bad. I'm not into movies until I can stream them. There you go. I just I don't smart man. <laughs> I struggle He's saving with that his money well. for I don't actually. Clocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, donate to your local school shot clock drive today. <laughs> I, Eric, I think you got somebody. Uh, Ray will come out there and pick it with you in front of the Capitol. You know, more money for the kids for shot clocks. 
Yeah, I, that's a good. That's <laughs> worthwhile to me. I'd pay like slightly more in taxes for shot clocks. I don't we, know how much you need. We would get our we would get our butts kicked by all the people there protesting about like important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I do wish I could see more movies. I, I watch too many basketball games to see a lot of things. Like I'm show single right now, for example, just because like, ah, do I want to commit? You know, if I really like a show, I'm going to watch it a lot. Um, and in the midst of an NBA season, I don't know. You can only get to make choices in life. <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe I'll report back. Maybe I'll go see Oppenheimer. I'll go see Barbie, and I'll give you my my takes next week. Um, <laughs> we I think we can wrap here. I'm pretty sure, unless we want to expound upon upon that comparison uh, further. I am. Uh, this is Ray, one of the hosts. Brave One Actual. You can find me online at uh, Peter Buckets and eighty eight. Eric, you can find him online at coach bu uh, i believe the real coach bu on instagram and uh yeah we appreciate you listening and you can find the podcast at four corner pod we will uh see you next week <laughs> <laughs>